Hi, everyone. It's Teresa. Welcome to the Safe Harbor Podcast. It's a podcast for parents of children with disabilities and people who love them. I have a great episode for you today. I have two guests. So you're going to hear from Sam and Sarah Alstrom. They are a married couple. They are parents. And one of their children is Zoe. Zoe has Rett syndrome. And they are here to talk with me and with you about special initiatives they have started. All that arose from their experiences parenting a child with a disability. They are the hosts of the Pretty Happy Podcast. And when you think of that name, the first word pretty, the P is lowercase, and then those R-E-T-T letters are bold and capital because this is about their experiences parenting a young girl with Rett syndrome. And their purpose in this podcast is to bring people together from the Rett syndrome community to discuss life research and to have a fun time. But what they do is going to be of interest to you, even if your child does not have Rett syndrome, because like everyone else that I speak to, we can take what people are doing in a particular space related to a particular disorder, and we can take that and we can influence another group in a similar way. So they will talk about what they're doing with their podcast and also some cool initiatives that they are bringing to people who have motor differences, so particularly children who have difficulties accessing toys. And so here again, this is where their initiatives can impact folks outside Red Syndrome community. So... Without any further chatter, here's my interview with them. Hey, Sam and Sarah, it is so great to meet you. Thanks so much for clearing some time on your schedule to come on Save Harbor and to talk about your experience, both as parents, this is most important, I think, parents to your daughter, Zoe, who has Rett syndrome, but also to talk about these things that you've been doing, I think, really innovative things in this space for parents of children with disabilities, both with a podcast and a website. So we're going to get into those kinds of things. But if you can introduce yourselves to the audience and tell us a little bit about your family and your journey as parents to Zoe. Most certainly. Well, we're really excited to talk with you, Teresa, because talking with other parents of individuals with Rett syndrome is our MO. It's therapy (laughs) for us. So the fact that we get to go on another podcast and talk with a Rett syndrome parent is even better. We love it. But yeah, like you said, my name's Sam. I'm Sarah. Sarah. Yep. And we are the parents of Zoe. And she is a six-year-old little girl who has Rett syndrome. And we are still navigating what it's like to be a family with special needs because we are only about three years into our journey. So we're still really new to all of this. Yeah. We initially found out that Zoe had Rett syndrome because she was delayed in her development and she wasn't catching up, even though we were doing therapies. We started therapies at about 14 months old and nothing was helping. So at that point, we started seeing a geneticist. They eventually did a blood test after doing a bunch of other testing to rule out other genetic conditions. And they found that Zoe had Rett syndrome. So we got her diagnosis right before she turned three years old. Now, did you know anything about Rett syndrome? Had you been researching it? Like, was this like a real shock to you when you got the label? So our journey is a little bit different than a lot of people because we received a clinical diagnosis before we received the actual diagnosis. So in April of 2019, we went into a children's hospital in Utah. We met with a geneticist who sat down and chatted with us, went out of the room for a bit, came back in and said, well... We're going to do the test, but we want to let you know that we believe that Zoe has Rett syndrome. She may have Angelman syndrome, but we believe that it's actually Rett. And that was when we first received any information about it. And as 
all parents of individuals with those types of mutations, disabilities, whatever it may be, they uh, tell you to not Google it. And so we did the complete opposite and Googled it. Yep. <laughs> we, we got in the car, started driving, watched a little video and, you know, it's pretty devastating. But we had about three months in between receiving that clinical diagnosis and our actual diagnosis in August of 2019 to be able to process it. So when the, was it the geneticist who called? It was the nurse who called, it was right? the, Yeah, the genetics nurse. Thank you. Yeah. And she called and she's like, well, I'm, I've got your results. And uh, I was at work at the time. Sarah was at home. So we were conference called in together. And she said, well, we do have the results and it is Rett syndrome. And both Sarah and I were like, cool, what's next? And she was completely taken aback because I'm sure the majority of the phone calls she has, people are absolutely devastated. But we had already begun the, the grieving process. It was still hard. It was still difficult to accept that that was indeed the truth of the situation. But it was much easier because we had received that initial clinical diagnosis. I think at that point, we would have been much more surprised and shocked had it not been Rett syndrome. Because of all the research that we had mm -hmm. been doing, we could see, okay, it says that these things are symptoms. She's doing all of these things, every single one. So for us, it was more of a relief than a negative yeah. feeling yeah. when the nurse did confirm that for us. Yeah. And we were very lucky because that was the very first and only real test that we ever had to do. There really wasn't anything else that we had to do that was, we had to wait for many months. And I know a lot of families, they'll go get a test and they're like, okay, it's this. And it comes back negative. And they'll do that multiple times, two, three, four, five times. We were very lucky that it was really just that one test that came back and it was, yep, that's what it was. So we're grateful for the journey that we've been on. We're grateful that it was rather straightforward. And a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that there are so many people who have gone before us, including you, Teresa, and your family. You guys have done a lot of work just in being members of the Rett syndrome community to bring awareness to it, which that in turn has led to funding for research, which has also led to bringing awareness in the medical community and so on and so forth. I can only imagine how difficult it's been so, for so many people before the past decade, probably you could go back to even the aughts. It was a little bit easier. So I have so much empathy for the story. You know, I can see you guys getting that initial diagnosis and looking, Googling and thinking, oh my goodness, you know, what are we facing? And then you had that three months to process. The good stuff right now is like you're saying, there's so many people that have come before and there's so much more knowledge. Families of older people with Rett syndrome you know, mostly women faced a much more negative story when they got that label, which is like what we faced. What was out there when Lisa got the label and she was 11 because that's when the gene was found. Lisa, my daughter, didn't have a, a real diagnosis. She was autistic-like. That's what they called her until she was 11 when they found the gene. And that's when we got her right label. So we had to grieve all over again. So yeah. it's like you had to go through, you have to grieve and then you say, okay, now we go forward. The good news for Rett syndrome, like so many other genetic disorders these days, there is hope because there are treatments or treatments on the horizon. And, you know, we're facing that right now in Rett syndrome where there's some level of optimism, which is incredibly wonderful for us. So you've known about her diagnosis now for three years. So I'm sure that so much of your time is taken up with caring for her and finding the right medical and educational treatments. But on top of this all, what you decided to do, I think about two years ago, is start a podcast called Pretty Happy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is so cool. I love it because Rhett's right there in the label. So if you can talk about what motivated both of you, because sounds like at least you, Sam, are working outside the home. I don't know, Sarah, if you have employment outside the home, but parenting children with disabilities, everything is more. You just, yeah. life is just more. 
And to do something like this on top of what you're already doing, I think takes extraordinary effort and dedication. So if you can talk about that. Yeah, well, I think that a lot of it stemmed back from our initial diagnosis. When we initially found out and we Googled Rett syndrome, it was all very negative stuff that we found. There wasn't a lot of hope. There wasn't a lot of optimism. And that is something that stuck with us because there is hope and there is optimism, but you're not going to find that when you initially Google Rett syndrome, or at least we are trying to change that. So Sam had this idea in 2020 that he wanted to start doing a podcast, which is very like him. (laughs) He loves to talk to people. He loves to interact with people. It's something that he's very naturally good at. That is something that I have learned. (laughs) It is a learned trait for me. It's not something that comes naturally. So it was for our daughter. So I said, yes, that I would do it too. And that's kind of just how it started was Sam just had this idea that he wanted to have a podcast. So that's where we started. And the initial jumping off point from it was Rett Syndrome Awareness Month in October of 2020. So each October, we try to do our part to raise awareness with our friends and family and encourage them to raise awareness with their followers, friends, whatever it may be across their social media networks or their neighbors. And we had had such a positive response that we just had this energy to keep going. So we just kept going. And it began very... um, Humbly. That is a great adjective. (laughs) The podcast began literally under a card table covered in blankets using my cell phone. To record (laughs) it. (laughs) And it was... Oh, it was it was miserable. It was not fun, but we were excited to talk with people. We were excited to connect with people. We were excited to share our story and let people know that they weren't alone in their journey. And it quickly changed from a podcast to bring awareness about Rett syndrome and more a way for us to connect and build up a community. We do have friends and family and the odd onesie twosies that are outside of the Rett syndrome community that will listen and reach out to us and and connect with us and talk with us about the interviews that we've had or the people that we've chatted with. But the majority of the time now, it's people who are within the community that are consuming the content, which I think has been a better fit for the way that we want to continue it. Because now we are not worried too much about connecting with people beyond. We're worried about connecting with people within. We're worried about building up relationships and friendships within. And it has been so powerful to hear other people's stories and to connect with professionals who really know how to work with individuals with special needs because they not only provide us with a lot of advice, but we're able to then go and share that with people and say, there is hope. Regardless of what your current situation is, there's hope. We've talked with people who are self-taught experts when it comes to the resources available across the United States. We've talked with families who have started their own nonprofits to raise money and awareness for Rett syndrome. And we've talked with just people who, who want to share their story. And we've made friendships worldwide. No exaggeration. We have hit every single continent except Asia. Yep. We have not connected with anybody in Asia yet. And so fingers crossed, we'll be able to do that very soon. But it has been such an incredible journey and we've enjoyed every second of it. That's so incredible. You know, as I think you know, the audience for this podcast goes beyond Rett Syndrome community. But I think what can be so inspiring to parents of children with other kinds of challenges other than RET is that this is something that they can do as well because building community is so key for all of us because this road that we travel can be so isolating that sometimes we can feel, wait, I'm the only one in my family or the only one in my neighborhood or the only one of my friends who really understands what it's like to be raising a child who has these different learning abilities 
who goes to a neurologist, you know, on a daily basis. Like this is our life. So the great thing about this technology is that we can bridge these geographical boundaries and find these other people to engage with so that we can all lift each other up. Absolutely. If you think back, October of 2020, we are still in the midst of the pandemic. It is still raging and we still don't fully understand what's going to happen. Obviously, at that point, we're hearing some things about a possible vaccine on the horizon. But other than that, a lot of us are still hunkering down. There's not a lot of travel that's going on. And we're, at least Sarah and I, we're feeling very isolated at that point. And this technology did just that. It allowed us to connect with people that even in the best of circumstances, we wouldn't have been able to connect with. There are individuals, a family that we met in Iceland. There is no rhyme or reason for us to have connected with them other than that the internet and technology exists. And they are the most wonderful, kind-hearted, sweet people that we've met. Folks in the Netherlands, UK, New Zealand, Australia, it is amazing what this has done for us to be able to feel like we are seen and we are heard. And while absolutely our circumstances are unique, it is also great to hear other people share in those circumstances. And momentarily, just for a little bit of time, you can feel like, oh, hey, this isn't completely abnormal. And I think that's sometimes the hardest part is feeling that isolation. And for us being able to hear from others that they're sharing in the same successes and struggles and even failures, it just feels like we are being heard and we're not as isolated. Yeah. And sometimes just being heard is what we need, right? We don't necessarily need advice from someone. We don't necessarily need an answer to a question. We just need somebody to just sit with what we're saying, you know, and just say, yeah, I hear you. Wow. And you're not a bad parent. You're not an angry parent. You're not. You're just being a parent and you're just trying to find an ear that is empathetic and can say, hey, I hear you. That's sometimes so important. I had somebody on the podcast this week who I interviewed from the UK. And again, I just love reaching this global audience that we have. So I think, you know, you've done such a great service by reaching out to this community across the world and provide information and support. So the community is terrific. So for your podcast, I know you have interviewed other families, you've interviewed experts, but I heard you recently talking about how you're moving into a space where you now have a website and you're looking to provide more support and help to families with regard to some of the stuff you're offering. So if you want to talk about that, that'd be great. Yeah, I'll talk about the community portion and I'll let Sarah chat a little bit about some of the the fun little gizmos and doodads (laughs) that we've got on there too. But I have realized that for me personally, being connected on a lot of Rett syndrome or disability Facebook groups, pages, whatnot, it can be a little much for me personally. And I would never go out of my way to tell people that they are sharing too much or they're sharing in a way that I'm not okay with. That's not the way social media works. When you create an account, you get to decide how you want to share, how you want to interact. And I am to a point now where I can't continue to just have that stuff thrown at me all the time. And so what I decided I wanted to do is build a website where we can have a community where I have to go from my regular social media, where I am currently actually removing some connections or at least muting some of those groups because it's just too much for me. So that way, when we can finally have a large enough community on this website that we're building up, I am going to that spot knowing that I'm going to get information that is specific to disability, special needs, and Rett syndrome. And so it's in the very early stages of all of this. And I know that there's a lot of other people who experience the same struggle that I do because 
once again, you can't control what other people share. You need to be respectful of what other people are sharing because that's how they need to process their grief, their trauma, their celebrations, whatever it may be. And so it's, like I said, in the very early stages, but my hope is that we will be able to have this separate standalone website and app where people, when they want to, they'll be able to go to this site, they'll be able to consume articles, They'll be able to communicate with other people. They'll be able to post on forums, just like you do on Facebook, just like you do in the Facebook groups and the Facebook pages, just like you do on Instagram or anywhere else. For me, it's just important to be able to have that switch where I can turn it on and I can turn it off. Because oftentimes as parents of individuals with special needs, I think that we get too caught up and let it define who we are. And while it certainly is a huge part of our life, it controls a massive part of our life. It doesn't have to be who we are. There are plenty of people that that is what they need and that's fine and I support them. For me though, I can't have it like that all the time. So anyways, that's kind of where the beginnings of it started. But then we also decided to tack on some other stuff and and I'll let Sarah talk about that because she's the expert on that. (laughs) Okay, if we can just stay with what you've just, because I want to hear that whole thing about yeah, sure. Sarah. Absolutely. But this whole idea about talking about how being a parent of a child with disability is not the entirety of you and it is not taken over your en- entire life. That is something that resonates so strongly with me. And I've witnessed so many people become or look as if that is how they define themselves. And for me, it was something I could not do. I could not let me be just about that. Yes, it's a a really important part of my life and I can't ignore it. And yes, it makes my life very different than say my peers, but it couldn't be for me to be the only thing that was like front and center because I found that so limiting and limiting for my daughter, limiting for my family, if I made us all about Rett syndrome. So part of what I've been trying to do in this podcast and ideas that I have for going forward are to talk about, especially mothers, how can you take this life that you now have, which, yeah, you know what? I didn't really pick this path. And at some days, I really don't even want to be on it. But yeah, it's changed me. But now what can I do in the world that is like, maybe it's related to disability issues, but it's going to be so much more. I went back to get my PhD a few years after Lisa was diagnosed because I said, you know, I'm not letting it hold me back. I'm just going. I'm not going to let this limit me or our family. It resonates with me as well. I actually just this past September, started going back to school again. But I am going back to get my engineering degree. And that is somewhat related to disabilities and whatnot, because I want to use that to help the community. But it's something that I've been wanting to go to school. I've been wanting to go back to school for a long time, but I never had a passion for something that I wanted to study. But because of Zoe and her diagnosis, I found that again. And it's really exciting. I can see how it's very hard for a lot of people to disconnect or at least provide a division between the disability, home life, all of that stuff and who you are as a person because it is constantly surrounding you, which goes back to kind of what I was talking about with this website. I personally would love to have my social media in such a way where I am connecting with people personally first. And then if other stuff is, you know, the Rett syndrome stuff or the disability stuff is coming in, that's great as a secondary. I have several friends that I grew up with. Their children have disabilities as well. One of them is one of 200 in the world and the other one is one of 19 in the world. So their situation is much more difficult than than ours with Rett syndrome. But we have a strong connection because we had a friendship before And now we have something that's built upon it. So there was a foundation there. And now we have these beautiful decorations on this friendship building that we've put together. And 
I think probably the hardest thing for at least us is making sure that we're setting aside a time for us to get away from our children. We love our children to a point, just as every parent should. <laughs> and, and we want to have time for ourselves. And we're not the best at it. No. <laughs> we, we do well occasionally, but we could do better. And I think what makes it even harder is it's difficult for us to trust others to provide similar care for our child with special needs as we do for our two younger boys. We have three children. Zoe and then her two younger brothers. Her two younger brothers are neurotypical and physical. Is it physiotypical? Is that what it is? Sure. Physically, they're typical. <laughs> <laughs> and I am more inclined to let somebody take our boys, somebody that I may not know very well, than I am with Zoe. But the thing is, Zoe really is an easygoing kid, just like our boys are. And in fact, probably our boys are more terrors to a babysitter than Zoe would be. It's true. I imagine most of my concern goes back to Zoe is not typical with her communication. And it's hard for somebody who hasn't had some experience to understand what she wants and needs. But she's a resilient kid and she would be fine. And so I think oftentimes we just make excuses. It would just be easier for us to just stay home, take care of the kids. We'll just do dinner at home or we'll do takeout and we'll all eat together or whatever it may be. We'll just do it at home when you really do need that physical separation for a few hours or a day or a week or whatever it may be. It's hard to get access to that though. Let's be honest. Unless you're right near family that's incredibly supportive or you have somebody nearby who you have a close relationship with, it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. So anyways, for us, we need to do better (laughs) and making sure that we are taking care of ourselves first, because if we're not good, then we can't take care of Zoe. Oh, right. You can't. No, we have to be well first. So important. Our partnerships, our marriages are under so much more stress than parents of typical kids. And the world is already so stressful. An issue that I'm so very passionate about is childcare for working parents and working mothers if you have a child who has a disability, because it's so hard to get good childcare just for neurotypical children. And then we have our children who have special needs on top of it. It's so incredibly hard and it's so hard to trust and we have fear and all of that. So yeah, I would encourage you guys to put your toe in the water and It's as if for us, you know, we've always, all of a sudden, somebody incredibly wonderful and warm has just come to us. And it's as if they're dropped out of the sky (laughs) as I pray and say, you know, I, I need a good caregiver. And then we find these amazing people. But I had to develop that sense of trusting. And it's really hard. It is. But I encourage you to do that. We do Friday night date nights, and it's just so healthy for us. But we're further on down the road. I mean, Lisa's grown. You guys have little ones. It's hard. (laughs) And those boys are probably harder to watch. They are. Because they're running around. (laughs) Oh, yes. They're beating on each other. Yeah, yeah. They're... They're absolute pills. But yeah, it's it's important. And you've had the opportunity to you and your your partner have been able to establish those routines and put yourself in a mindset where you're comfortable and safe. And of course, your daughter, she's in a different situation than our Zoe is, being that she's much more mature than Zoe. But once again, a lot of it just goes back to us and our mindset. We struggle on trusting others. We struggle on the unknown. What if today's the day that Zoe has seizures. We are very lucky that she currently does not have seizures and fingers crossed she doesn't ever have them. But what if? Yeah. Here's the thing though, same thing could be said about our boys. What if today is the day that they all of a sudden show their peanut allergy that they've been hiding forever? Or maybe today is the day that they decide to put on capes and jump down the stairs and they break their butt. <laughs> I don't know. There could be any number of things. And it's so easy to just make excuse after excuse because of our special needs child, because they're different. 
look, anything could happen. The world's filled with chaos and you have to accept inherent risk in everything that you do. So you might as well just accept it and go along with it. Yeah, that's so, so true. You know what? I did an episode at the beginning when I started recording on fear and, you know, how these fears hold us back. And I, one of the things that I try to work through is, you know, take the idea and then take it to the absolute end. So if your boys do put on their Superman capes and jump down the stairs, right? And she does have to call you and say, oops, I think we have to go to urgent care. Like that's probably the worst thing that's going to happen, right? And you, and they might have done it when you were home, right? So go for that. Yeah. And Zoe's gotten hurt when Sarah's been home. Zoe's oh, yeah. gotten hurt. Well, actually, no, it's always been when you, it's just you. Maybe... Hold up. You're the, pro- the split Hold lip. Hold up. The- <laughs> Hold up. <laughs> For your listeners who don't know, I enjoy antagonizing my wife. Yes, very much. She, she's a wonderful person. <laughs> Not that it's your fault, but to prove the point that anything could happen, it even can. with we when we are home, Zoe fell and split her lip. She still has a great scar on her lip to this day. She does. And Sarah was home. Yep. It happens. I was right there. Oh, oh that's true. I was it, right there. It, it, you weren't even out of the room. Nope. You were in the Same room, room with her and it happened. And so it's so easy to just push it off and say, well, it's because of the disability. We're not going to do this or whatever else it may be. And that is something that we have been trying to foster a bit more is that thought process of, how do we make it happen? Not what is holding us back. No, it's, we were going to do this. Let's talk about what the hurdles are and how we overcome the hurdles. Not the hurdles are there and they're giant brick walls that we cannot cross. No, we can cross them. We can cross them. It may take us a bit more time. And while once again, we are very early in our journey as parents, I think we've done a pretty good job. We were able to take Zoe across the country to a Rett syndrome conference this year. And that was the first time for the three of us, because we left the boys at home. We flew together and you know we traveled around Nashville together and we experienced the conference together. And there were hurdles we had to overcome. But I don't think at any point in time we said, oh, we can't do that because of Zoe. No. It was, we want to do this. Okay. What steps do we need to take to make it possible for our family, our little unit to go and do that. And so we we want to do more of that. So important. And that message about how you can successfully travel and navigate the world is so important. First of all, it's so enriching for our kids to have those experiences, to go out into the community, to get on an airplane. It's enriching their life. It's also helping society say, oh, okay, look, you know, I see these people with their child with a disability and the kid is out here engaging in the world. We need to have our kids out there in the world and not hiding them and and treating them as if they're fragile. I interviewed somebody who wrote a book called Traveling Different, and she has all these great strategies for families of kids with disabilities who might be afraid, just as you've mentioned, about taking their kids out and traveling. And it's just the greatest thing. For all of us. So anyway, this is just such a great conversation. Sarah, I do want to talk about the stuff that you're planning for this community that you two are building on your website. Yeah. So I started doing 3D printing because of another rep family. They showed us these adapted switches that they were 3D printing. And I said, hey, I can learn how to do that. And I can help the community by doing that. So we got a 3D printer and we started printing switches and we were able to donate switches to our local rec clinic, which has been just a huge, fantastic experience for us and everybody involved in it. And along with that, I started to learn how to adapt toys. It started for Zoe, obviously, because she needed toys that she could play with. Because of her Rett syndrome, she doesn't have a lot of hand function. And so these buttons allow her to activate the toys. They have audio cables. The switch has an audio cable. And then you adapt a toy to have an audio cable. You connect them. 
And then when you push the button, it activates the toy. And Zoe's able to do that without fine motor skills. And we've started doing that. It started with Zoe. And from there, it was her preschool teacher asked if we could adapt some toys. And I said, of course, I will do my best and you know, I'll give it a shot and, and try it. And then it was other therapists that wanted to come that had seen the toys at home. And we had talked about it and I had told them, yeah, if you you know, would like some toys adapted, I'm happy to either show you how to do it or do it for you, whatever you would prefer. Because I know that if I teach a therapist how to do it, they will be able to bless so many more people. So I was offering this freely, just please come learn. I'll show you how to do it. At the same time, we recognized that there are a lot of people that it's scary for them to do something like that. Or maybe it's just not something that they're interested in learning, but they still want to have those things available for their loved ones. So because of that, we decided we're going to have this website. Why don't we open a shop on this website? We can put the toys on there. We can put the switches on there. And we're going to try our best to keep it as low cost as possible. If you look at adapted toys on the internet to buy them, they are marked up. Just extremes. They are marked up. It costs, what, about $2, $3 to adapt a toy? If you're not including any sort of labor costs, the supplies, including your energy, all of that, you're looking at anywhere between two to five dollars to adapt a toy. Yeah. And it's I'm not exaggerating. The toys that we are finding online that are already adapted, upwards of a thousand percent markup. And they're for toys that aren't even of intellectual properties that most children or even just anybody would be interested in. You don't have your Disney's, you don't have your Illuminations, you don't have these big movie figures that people really enjoy. You're talking small little things that, I mean, they're three, four inches high and they are charging $50 to $80 for them. And you can buy them yourself for about 2 to $5, depending on the site that you get it at. Anyways, that's my way of saying we're fighting the man. We're fighting <laughs> corporate America and the thousand percent markup. What we try to do is, is find toys that are on sale, mainly that are on clearance. So that way we can adapt them. We do charge a fee for adapting them, but it's very nominal compared to what it is. And we try to be able to sell those toys fully adapted at regular retail cost. An example of a toy that we were just able to pick up was a Linkamoles sloth and a Linkamoles penguin. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are very familiar with those toys. They're very popular. Normally, those things are $26, $27. We got them for $10. And we're going to be able to sell them at retail costs after we go through the whole process of adapting them. We're not in it to make money. We do need to cover our costs. <laughs> yeah. But... We do also provide tutorials for people to be able to do that. So when you go and look at the toy, and we're still in the process of adding this in, you can watch a tutorial of how to do it yourself. Yep. We're trying to put ourselves out of business. We want to do it. But just as Sarah said, we recognize that there are people who they have no desire to adapt, or it is still too daunting, even with the tutorial. And we respect that and understand that. And we just want to be able to provide them with a resource for their loved one that doesn't break the bank. What a great service. So many families are strapped financially. Certainly these times are very challenging, but costs of raising a child with a disability just go through the roof for families that were already under the financial gun, right? So what a great service. And also you're educating them as well. And this, it can go far beyond the Rett syndrome community because there's so many children with developmental challenges who cannot play with objects in a standard way. And so for them to be able to interact with objects because of these adaptations you're making is such a wonderful gift. We were able to visit a local All Abilities Carnival. And there were so many people who were saying that as well, that there just isn't enough access to it. Yeah. And what we're trying to do is take those regular everyday toys. We're even doing holiday decorations 
and just provide access, something that people haven't ever thought of before. And like we said, the actual cost for the supplies, you're talking 3 to $5. You want to add labor on top of that, that's another 10 bucks. We're not talking $30, $40, $50 that needs to go on top of this. And so our hope is that we can simply provide more people with access to entertainment and joy because let's be honest, the more engagement that individuals with special needs can have with the world around them, the better off they are mentally, emotionally, physically. And I mean, we've already discussed it, but we are so strapped for cash as parents of special needs. We all know the healthcare system in this, in this country has its issues. And unfortunately, it does not provide the support that special needs families need. And so our hope is that we can hopefully bridge a gap. We can bridge a gap between what people need and what they're able to afford. Yeah, it's so important. I mean, you're you're really taking away barriers for families. I've never adapted a toy. I've worked with many adapted toys. I just don't have that kind of mechanical kind of knowledge and I certainly would be more than happy to pay over and above, you know, the cost of like what you're talking about, the reason pay a reasonable cost for somebody else to do it. So I think you're providing such a great service for families because it's one less thing that they have to think about, one less thing they have to do, right? And for those that want to learn, you're providing the great tutorials, but, you know, it's also wonderful aunts and uncles and friends, they're like, well, what can I buy your kid? Well, now, you know what? You can go to this website. You can find this toy that, you know, he or she can play with. How fun, you know, because often we say, well, I don't know, you know, she can't play with anything because you buy her a toy and all she does is put it in her mouth or she can't even do that. So how great. Yeah. And because of the people that we've been able to connect with specifically in the Rett syndrome community, which there are so many intelligent and innovative people that we've met. We've learned that people are taking random everyday items from their life and adapting them. So these individuals who have no fine motor skills, they can play board games. They can play card games. They're able to participate in family game night as well. And currently we don't have that stuff on our shop and we hope to be able to provide that in the future. But it's so amazing what's out there, the ideas that people have. And once again, just going back to what we were saying about providing people with information, there may be people that want to learn how to do it and want to do it themselves. And we are all for that. But more than anything, we just want to provide access, whether that's do it yourself or be able to purchase it and then allow these individuals to fully participate in the family experience, in the school experience in the everyday life experience. We've even discovered that the switches we have, they can be connected to an adaptive controller for Xbox. I mean, somebody who has limited, fine, and even gross motor skills to be able to purchase an adaptive controller directly from Microsoft, but plug in, whether it be our switches or there's plenty of other ones out there, to be able to play a game, not just view it, but to participate in it is amazing. And of course, our focus right now, because Zoe is six years old, is toys. And so we're excited to learn from other people about the ideas that they have and what they've been able to do for their special needs individual. We are so excited for what's on the horizon with technology innovation, with enthusiasm in the community, whatever it may be. There's so much out there. And thanks to going back to what we were talking about at the beginning, the fact that we are able to connect with others more than ever before, we're able to find out and discover ways that these individuals can fully integrate into our communities than we ever thought was possible before. Wow, that has so so many implications for individuals as they age, because you know, if you think there's no boundaries, right? You can think about, you know, now there's potential ways to engage in employment, right? And help them in school as they get older. I'm thinking about my daughter. I'd love a switch so that she could choose on her Disney Plus or on Netflix what show she wants instead of she can pick it out on her AC device, but you know she can't run the remote control. 
if somebody could adapt it so she could go click, 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 I want Disney Plus, click, 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 I want Tangled out of her watch list. Or if she goes to Netflix, man, I would buy that. (laughs) (laughs) I want to divert the conversation real fast. Is that your daughter's favorite movie, Tangled? It's like a very big favorite right now. Yes. We need to do a watch party. We need to do a watch party. (laughs) Our family, your family, Zoe loves it. Uh, I I think you and I are okay with it still, Sarah. Yes. I haven't seen it too many times. uh, So I'm not at the point where I'm like over it. If it was frozen, it'd be a different story, but tangled. We should do a watch party. Once again, technology connecting us in ways that we never thought was possible. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, I would do it. Because I I don't know it by heart yet. Like Frozen 1, Frozen 2, I know by heart. No thanks. But Tangled (laughs) is still pretty new. (laughs) Oh, that's so fun. That's so fun. All of that is definitely a possibility. It's there. And it's just connecting with the right people and figuring out how to do it. I've got an idea of how to make it so your daughter can select her own I was going to say, I have an idea about it too. Yeah, so... (gasps) See, that's why you're going to engineering school. That's so good, Sarah. (laughs) That's it. Because I have no idea. I'm like, you know, she has a big screen TV, so it's on the wall. And she'll walk over to it. And, you know, she could touch. But it's not a touch screen TV. Like, it's a smart TV. And that remote, she can't run it because the buttons are too close. She tries. You know, she tries, but she can't. So she could pick them out on her AC device. But I just love to be able to... Because she'll pick up the remote and bring it to you if she wants you to change (laughs) So Good for like, her. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Expressing yeah. her wants. Oh, she's very clear. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, you guys see, you've got those engineering brains. I don't. <laughs> so that's cool. I'd love, you could think on those and let me know those ideas. That's so great. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, well, you are providing such a wonderful service with these things that you're doing. And I know folks will visit your website because they'll love to see your community that you're building as well as this shop where you you have these great things. I have really enjoyed this conversation so much. I don't know if there's anything else that you feel like we haven't covered yet or you want to add. The only thing that I'd like to add is what being a member of the special needs and disability community has done for me. It has reframed my perspective on life. Before Zoe and her diagnosis, I was very much the person who was excited to live but I pushed it off. And because of her diagnosis, even though, as we've discussed, what is on the horizon for Zoe at six years old is amazing. It's incredible at this point. But we don't always know. We have friends whose children have passed away at very young ages due to complications of their disability. We have friends whose family members have passed away, not because of any disability, but because of life, accidents, natural causes, whatever it may be. And you just don't know. And because of Zoe, because of her diagnosis for me, it's forced me to reframe the way I think about how we are going to live. And so now it's not a whole lot of someday we'll do that. I'm trying to put more concrete dates and put more action into what we are doing or what I'm doing to make things happen. Because I simply don't know what's going to happen to our family tomorrow. For me, that's not a negative way. I know a lot of people would see that as a negative way to look on life. But my thought is, regardless of what your belief is regarding what happens afterwards, we all know that there will be an end to what we are experiencing right now. And if you believe in a heaven, if you believe in a reincarnation, or you believe that this is all that it is, you can't take this experience with you. What we have right now is very special and very unique. And when it's gone, you can't get it back. No matter how much you may cry, no matter how much you may plead, this is it. And so I'm very grateful to have Zoe. I'm grateful for my family, and I'm grateful for the perspective that has provided me, we're pretty well on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. We want to do. And if it weren't for our diagnosis, I wouldn't have that perspective. So because of Rett syndrome, I want to live. Wow. 
So powerful. So powerful. I couldn't also agree more. I think it has taught us about the fragility of life and has made us more aware of living in the present and greatly appreciating what we have now and finding joy in where we are. So that's just a beautiful message. I have loved this conversation. You two are an amazing couple. I love your back and forth, how you interact with each other. (laughs) And I can see the love. I can feel the love. And Zoe's a really lucky little girl. I know she's brought great stuff to your family. One day I hope to meet her. But you're also bringing great stuff to the RET community as well as other families of children with disabilities. So thank you so much. Thank you both for taking the time to be on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm so happy to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Sam and Sarah. They are a lot of fun. I love their interaction. And as well as being fun, they are incredibly passionate, incredibly smart, and just a a couple who are dedicated to this mission that they are embracing. And I'm so excited about what they're doing in terms of bringing access to the environment, beginning with toys for children who have disabilities and who knows where this is going to go. So I always am so grateful for you spending your time with us on the podcast, listening to these really inspirational people. Please share this episode with anyone you think might benefit from it. In the show notes, I will have a link to their Instagram where you can find the Pretty Happy Podcast. I'll also have a link to their website, which is prettyhappy.place. And that's where you'll be able to contact Sam and Sarah if you need more information. So please remember, you can find me on Instagram at Teresa Bartolotta. Also, you can find my website, TeresaBartolotta.com. Please send me an email at safeharborpodcast at gmail.com to get on my mailing list and also to suggest anyone else you think you'd like to hear on the podcast. There are so many terrific, inspirational folks out there who we can all learn from. Again, I send my gratitude to you for taking part of your precious time to listen to this, and I look forward to your feedback. Stay well.